Did you know that there are over a thousand diet plans out there? And I think there's probably just as many exercise plans and life plans and coaching plans and all those things. And I think what we're seeing these days is what we call informational dilution, uh, where there's so much information and each one of them has some degree of validity to it that what works is lost. And how to tailor it to your own lifestyle can sometimes be really frustrating because what folks do is they find something that sounds good. They try to adapt all the different points of the system. And what happens is a lot of times it's not something they can hold on to for a very long period of time. It's not something that is conducive to a long life of better choices, better exercise habits. And so part of what I wanted to do today is actually dive into that. So over the past few weeks, I've decided to learn more about this and try to break down what works and what doesn't. And not just based on, you know, anecdotal evidence, but actually based on the science, based on the research. So somewhere around 300 articles later, uh, I've got a better bead, I think, on this. Um, I know as a doc, when I treat my patients, uh, weight loss is not the first thing on our list of to-dos. You know, it's not the first thing that... Um, that we try to tackle because most people see me because they need um, a problem fixed. They need a specific thing. My blood pressure is uncontrolled. My diabetes is uncontrolled, something of that nature. It's hard, especially as humans, especially in our American culture where our, our words don't even really translate the future as an equivalent to today. I know there's an interesting Ted talk that I was watching some time ago where it talked about um, in certain Asian cultures that the, the words themselves um, how people perceive, you know, three months down the road and now are in a sense equivalent. There's an equivalency to that time frame, so it makes saving much easier because, hey, for as all intents and purposes, down the road is just like now. Well, in our culture, that's not the case, and so as you look at diet and weight loss plans, and golly, there are so many out there. Sometimes it's really tough to try and weed through all that stuff. So I've in a sense, kind of done that for you a bit. Um, and there's some kind of key takeaways that I've found along the way that I think are pretty helpful. And one of the big ones is this. They all kind of work, which is not real helpful, <laughs> I know. But they all kind of work. They all have some basis to them. They all have some principle they operate. And you can reduce just about any of these down to two main philosophies or two main points, I guess. And this is the easy part of exercise. And there's a hard part coming down the road, but here's the easy part. Eat less, exercise more. And I don't think anybody in the audience is clapping their hands saying, yes, I'm so glad you finally brought that up because I've been looking for that answer. Everybody knows that. But that is where it gets difficult because it's the people, it's the person who has to make the decisions. It's the mom, the dad, the, you know, person that works 80 hours a week or the person who's looking for a job. It's somebody who's been overweight all their life or just had a baby and is trying to shed the pounds and is having a really hard time. It's those people that have to traverse that plan. And so I think, and I've yet to really find a 
company or a program out there that does this, I think you have to tailor what you do to the person you're treating. I would never think of treating all my heart failures the same, even though in principle most of them get something similar in terms of their regimen. I would never think of treating someone who's infected the same every single time. No, it needs to be tailored to what's going on. Same is true for someone with a um, you know, a lifetime of obesity, someone who has just gained the weight, you know, someone who's a stay-at-home mom, somebody who uh, holds down three jobs. You know, they all have different tugs and they all have different pulls. And it's those different tugs and pulls and those internal monologues and those psychosocial stressors and their own neurohormonal processes that make individual weight loss something you can't just say, here's the broad stroke, this is what you need to do. Now, you can in terms of the basic principle, but not when it comes to tailoring a regimen. So I thought I'd go through a few things that um, have kind of come to light um, that sort of hone in a lot better, I think, on, um, on what's helpful out there. And like I said, almost all of these things have some degree of validity to them. Like it's not that these are just uh, you know garbage points. Each one or each plant out there has something to it. But again, not everyone can adjust to that. Not everyone can go through with those things. And so I thought it'd be real helpful to run down um, basically the top ten of what works for weight loss. And as I've read and continue to read and try to hone in on the the real core points, what are the pieces that you need to do? Uh, I'd advise you to pick up a couple of these, add them to your regimen, especially if you're in the process, you're just getting started, you are thinking about getting started, and you think it's so far away, I'll never get there. And because that's how our minds view it sometimes, it makes even just the act of getting started really, really tough. So I have the first two, and I use these two in tandem, and as always, you know, anytime you want to start a diet exercise regimen, you need to talk to your doctor first, especially if you have some comorbidities, if you have something that, uh, you know, uncontrolled diabetes, heart issues, you need to talk to your doctor before considering uh, starting one of those regimens. But here goes with two, and I think these are, for the most part, fairly universal. Most people can do these, and... It's not that big of a step. It's actually really small. They're two small steps, two small uh, steps in or down the path of getting healthier, getting leaner, getting to a normalized um, body mass index. And for those of you unfamiliar, BMI, it's a rough measure. And so I don't put a whole lot of stock in it um, as far as is it everything. It's not, but it does in general help us understand that the differences in weight between people of different heights and genders. So um, here goes. The first two rules, and this will be a top 10, uh, but the first two, two are really easy. Number one, staggered eating. All right, so what's that? Well, this is what you've heard in various incarnations. It's chew your food slowly. It's, um, you know, drink a big glass of water in between your meal or... You know, try to stretch your meals out to 30 minutes or, you know, some variation of that. And what it is, is it's trying to get people to slow down their eating. Okay, well, that's fine, but most people don't think about that. And for the, those of you that are pretty self-efficacious, meaning 
Um, that's one of the psychology terms in weight loss. It's basically mean I can do this. And there are varying levels of I can do this. But some people are very good at staggered eating. They can just slow down their meal, and you know what? Over time, their calories are reduced, and they, they end up losing weight. Other people, it's really tough because food is a, it's a psychosocial um, antidote sometimes to what we face in life. And like that's not casting a stone. That's saying that's where some people are starting from. And so as we go through, our job as um, people that help other people lose weight our job is to address those as they are, not passing judgment, not you know saying that a person is weak or if you have high self-efficacy or and you feel like you can do everything, that you're better than those that don't know. We want to tailor plans and tailor uh, regiments to what a person has, not what we wish they had. We want to treat you as you are, not as if you have to reach some level of personal motivation, perfection before you can go down this road. And that's why I think it's missing from a lot of these plans. We don't have a, a sort of um, universal cookbook to use to get something that will be tailored to an individual person. So number one, staggered eating. So when I tell people, this is my version of it. I call it the half plate rule. And basically what it is, and there's science behind this, basically what it is is when, you, you, when you're first starting out, You've got a regimen of how you eat, and that's fine. We're not actually going to treat that right off the bat, especially if you've tried many weight loss plans, had a little success, or really had trouble getting started. This is a great first rule for that. Number one, staggered eating, half plate rule. What you do is you make your normal dinner, make your normal lunch, make things as you normally do. And what I'm going to do is I'm not actually going to take any of that food away. Because what I want your brain to perceive is that you still have freedom of choice. Now, most of the time, I just tell people that, you know, do the half plate rule and don't, you know, just explain it and be done with it. But for those of you who kind of want to learn more, it, when you take away choice from people, there's almost this automatic repugnation. Like they just, it's repugnant. They don't, it's revolting. How dare you? It's very un-American. It's not our culture to take free choice away from people. So this rule allows for that. It allows for that sort of ism. And what you do is you eat half your plate. However you normally take it, eat half your plate. And then wait 15 minutes. Just set a timer. Enjoy your conversation. Drink some water. You know, get something done if you're you know, doing a working lunch. But eat half your plate. Wait 15 minutes. So I set a timer. Just pull up my phone. Boop. Hit the timer. And when that timer goes off, if I'm still hungry, more than welcome to continue eating until you're full, okay? But what you're going to find, and this is the background on it, there's two hormones that help in regulation of eating, and there's a lot more than two. And as far as the frontier of science, dietary hormones is one of the frontiers where they are trying to hone down on exactly what is it that makes people want to eat. And so we know a little bit. We, we're still, there's quite a few that have kind of generic names. And I'm sure over time they'll come up with fancier ones. But um, you have what I call the ghrelin gremlin. So ghrelin is this hormone that basically induces hunger. Rises before you eat and slowly starts to go down as you're eating. Okay. Its counterpart or one of its counterparts is leptin. And leptin slowly rises over time and as you begin to eat your meal, it's your satiety hormone. It's the one that's going to say you're full, you're done, and you don't need any more. And so ghrelin is going down, leptin is going up as we're eating. 
And what we want to do is we want to put a gap in there to give those guys a chance to do their job. So in a sense, without being overly dramatic about it, this is kind of hormone manipulation by behavior, right? All we're doing is injecting some time in there for these hormones, which for the most part, you know, most people should have these intact. They should be functioning grossly normal, although we'll talk about leptin um, resistance um, here in a minute. But most people should have this axis intact. Okay. So with leptin and ghrelin, if you inject that time gap, a lot of times, you know what, people don't feel as hungry. Satiety has started to set in and the need to sort of what I call mouth feed, where your tummy is full, you know you've had the calories you need, but you're still mouth hungry because taste and flavor and desire and reward in the brain all very sort of intricately linked up together. And so when we allow a little gap, we're not denying food, which is kind of, you know, for some people, that's a big deal. Denying food or saying you can't is where they get hung up. So this full, this uh, rule kind of helps circumnavigate or go around or um, jump over that little hurdle um, in the road and makes it so you still feel like you have full choice, but you also are allowing your hormones to do their job. Okay, so that's the first one. Number two, especially if you're starting from scratch, we need to begin exercise. Okay, why? So data supports that any exercise can be helpful. Okay, it's not the particular exercise, it's that you get something done. And what I tell people is, especially if you've not exercised in years, start with 10 minutes a day, three days a week. That's 30 minutes a week. Most people should be able to do that in some sense. Now, there's a whole category of people out there that have old injuries. And again, this is why it's important to talk to your doctor before beginning a regimen. Some people, the idea of walking for 10 minutes is abhorred, like just the pain of osteoarthritis or old fractures or knee replacements or whatever. It's just they, it, it's just a non-starter. Okay, you need to find something that does work for you. And here's the thing about exercises, high intensity, moderate intensity, uh, vigorous, you know, aerobic resistance training. It all works, but you have to stick with it. Okay, so you need to find something out there that you can stick with. And statistically, you will do better if you work out at home, which does not feel like a thing. Like everyone makes the jokes that your treadmill becomes your clothes rack. Well, there's some truth to that. But statistically, it's, it's the what's called law of propinquity. There's a little word for you, pro, propinquity. Basically, what's proximal or what's close to us is what our choices will prefer, okay? So you got to get it in your stream, okay? So whatever your daily routine, if your daily routine is get up and go straight to the bathroom, brush your teeth, come in, eat breakfast, uh, and then, you know, read the news or watch TV, okay, you got to put that exercise equipment or somehow get your habit to where you go to that exercise equipment. So either put it in the way of that path or put it somewhere where it's easily accessible. I promise you, if you take your weights, put them in a box and put them under your bed, you will not use them nearly like you will if you um, have it through, um, if you have them sitting out. Same with a guitar. I have a guitar that sits in my corner of my bedroom. It sits there, you know, not three feet away. If it was in its case, I would never play it. But 
It doesn't sit in its case. It sits out. So it's nothing. The, the rate limiting step has been greatly reduced by the fact that it is already out. And what as we go through and as you listen along and follow along, part of our job is to try and reduce the, the amount of um, beginning effort required to get something done. Okay, you want to try and reduce that down because here's the deal. If that's all that's in the way and those simple steps can fix it, how much more do we need to focus on that? Like that needs to be not just a thing, but one of the things, okay? That's what a catalyst does. A catalyst in a reaction brings down what's required to get it started, okay? And same for our weight loss plan. We want to do things that are so easy that we pretty much overburden or overwhelm the scale or on the side of the scale that is in favor of our success. So, number one, staggered eating. Number two, begin exercise. And here's the deal. Over time, with that exercise, you want to start getting to about 150 minutes a week. Right? Because that's what the data supports. Moderate exercise, 150 minutes a week. There's several studies out there that say that is, um, that's a good regimen for weight loss. Okay? So that's one and two. Number three. All right. This one's kind of counterintuitive and almost one of those like gimmicky things, but here's it. It actually has data to support it. Number three, buy smaller plates and bowls, which does not seem very sciencey, but here's the deal. The data supports that when we have smaller plates and bowls, we don't eat as much and our perception of our appetite and our fullness level don't change. So if you eat a large bowl of frosted mini wheats and a medium bowl of frosted mini wheats, over time, data supports that our perception of our having had a meal remains the same, yet our portions are less. So I tell people as you're getting started, you know, go get some special plates that are yours, you know. Um, I would totally get some Star Wars plates, but get something that designates um, that this is what a proper portion is. It becomes an unconscious reference point for proper portionings, all right? Because a lot of this, we want to get it over to muscle memory to where it's not even a thing you think about. Because the longer you have to think about something, the more likely you're not going to do it because that just requires so much effort to get going. So, Buy smaller plates and bowls. Uh, luckily, with our set, as far as I know, my kids have not broken them all. Um, our set has a medium plate and a smaller bowl. So guess what? In the morning, I eat a small bowl of cereal. Uh, at dinner time, we use the medium plates because it supports us eating proper portion controls. So again, the only two rules of weight loss is exercise more, eat less. But there are some ways um, that we can sort of manipulate our environment to give us a better chance. So, number four, low energy density foods. Okay, so what does that include? That's fruits, that's vegetables, that's the lean meats, all right? Not the uh, king's cut of, um, you know, the ribeye, but stuff like pork chops, chicken, fish, things that have lean cuts to them. Low-fat dairy is another great option. And here's the deal. Per bite or per, per gram or whatever unit of measure you want to use, low energy density foods have less calories, less energy per that unit, per that bite, per that gram of food given to you. So what that is, is your, your body is actually able or, you know, sort of designed to perceive fullness by, um, by volume. 
right? There's a lot more sort of satiety that happens by stomach volume than it is actual individual food. So um, as you're looking and trying to make your uh, choices, this is why our selection of low energy energy density foods is important because it's going to support a lower calorie diet. So again, we're trying to overwhelm our chances of success. We're trying to put so much weight on the other scale um, you know, in terms of what we have to put out as effort and what we have to working for us unconsciously. We want to just overwhelm um, our chances of being successful. So low ener energy density foods, low fat dairy, Fruits, you got to be careful if you're diabetic. Veggies, potatoes and white things, uh, potatoes and rice, especially, I guess, rice is a grain more. Um, but you got to be careful about your blood sugars and whatnot if you're a diabetic. So, again, talk to your doctor uh, and consider that before you begin a weight loss plan. So, um, and then lean meats with those as well. So, number five, going at it with a buddy, gal, pal, spouse, training partner, whatever. Do it together. And now part of this you have to understand is your perception of your self-efficacy, your perception of how well you are going to be able to do this makes a big difference and a, is a big determining factor with whether or not you need to have a training partner or somebody that's doing it with you. So here's why. Data supports the people that engage in social exercise are more likely to keep with it, more likely to maintain adherence, and are more successful. Okay, and here's the deal. If I think that my weight loss, my um, level of fitness is going to be tied to your success, I am much more likely to do it because it becomes an external motivation, not an internal motivation. Internal motivations are weird. They get blocked by our emotions, by our state of mind, by... Uh, how much we've had for lunch, how much, you know, like there's so many things that tug and pull are, you know, whether we fight with our spouse, you know, stress at work, et cetera. Internal motivations are hard to maintain. Um, even if you have a really strong belief in yourself and, you know, a really strong self-efficacy. So what is helpful and what has been shown to be helpful is number five, going at it with a buddy, gal, pal, spouse, train partner, whatever that you know you can find now. If you don't have one of those, this is why those group exercises, CrossFit, um, Camp Gladiator, those sort of things are really important because that creates a community for you to join. And oftentimes, these places are very supportive of people just starting out. Um, so that's a, one of the things to consider in that sense. So number six, total weight loss goals. You can shoot for the stars. But bear in mind, most people lose 5 to 10%. And so they actually did studies to where people were um, asked, you know, what's your ideal weight loss goal? Okay, 40, 50 pounds. Okay, what? And you're 200 pounds. So a 10% you know, drop in weight is going to be 20 pounds. So if their expectation is 40, but they only get 20, guess what? They experience disappointment. If your expectation is 10 pounds and you lose 5 pounds, you have disappointment. So it's important to realize that through diet, exercise, and a lean lifestyle, we can shoot for whatever weight we want to. Like there's nothing wrong with looking to get trim and becoming lean. 
And what is linked, that varies by person. And unfortunately, in our Instagram age, there's so many people out there that are flexing and, you know, it's really tough to sit there and say, okay, I work at a desk. You know, this guy works at a gym. (laughs) How am I supposed to sit there and keep up with that? So it's important to maintain a proper weight loss goal. But that being said, if your goal is to lose 40 pounds and get to a normal BMI, so I said BMI is a nice rough estimate to help you figure out where you need to be. And your doctor and um, trainer or whoever you're working with can help you decide what a healthy BMI goal is for you. Because BMI doesn't take into account our muscle mass. If you're more dense in terms of your muscle mass, uh, your BMI may be higher or artificially higher than it you know, your actual fat content. So I know there's several bodybuilders. You can probably go on YouTube and find them that have done their BMI and they ended up, you know, they are in the morbid obese category, but no, they're just hulking and full of muscle. Um, So maintain a proper, it can be ambitious, but don't let it discourage you if you don't get there. Most people get 5 to 10%, but here's what's awesome. That 5 to 10%, you can reset, Okay. It's sort of like a debriefing. So if you weigh 200 pounds, your goals get down to 150 or 180, and you get 10 pounds done, that's a great time to debrief, see what's working in your regiment, see what's not, and begin an upcycle. And an upcycle is basically where you increase exercise, you continue to maintain that strong output. And here's the deal. Sometimes this takes years. You know, you may be looking two or three years down the road. If you're starting at overweight and you want to get lean, it may be nine months to a year before you're seeing results that are really significant. And that can get pretty discouraging. Again, keeping you in a regiment is more important than what regiment. All right. So fans of the keto out there, you enjoy yourselves. Fans of paleo, great. Fans of Mediterranean, fans of DASH diet, all those thousands of different diets out there. It doesn't matter which one it matters that you have one that you stick with. So uh, total weight loss goals, make them individualized, but know that most people lose about half pound, two pounds a week. And when you feel like you've hit a plateau, that's a good time to get some help, get another perspective, debrief, see how it went, what worked, what didn't, and see what you can do to continue to make some goals. And eventually people do get to a maintenance weight and there's nothing wrong with that. That is the lean lifestyle. When you are able to do the things you want to do that That, for me, is a success. So, uh, next one. And this is one that I've always just rolled my eyes at. This is number, I think it's number seven. Good gut bacteria. And I feel like I've created some grievous sin by even mentioning that. Because that's just not something I was trained to talk about. I still feel that way. I don't know if I'll ever feel different. But... The problem is it's supported by research. Now, here's what that research looks like. Maintaining good gut bacteria. And I want you to think about it this way. Take, um, I always use the example, Kevin. Kevin is this little bird that sits out on our uh, back porch. And every time Kevin comes, he just shows off a little worm he has for, he's a little um, sparrow or finch or something. Anyway, Kevin comes, he tweets, tweets, tweets. He's got a worm. He goes and feeds his little chicks that are in his nest. And, you know, he's just always a show off. So, that became my uh, analogy. So to all the Kevins out there, my apologies for using your name, but it's the bird on my back porch. But anyway, so picture Kevin, the Neanderthal, um, you know, early man, however, you know, back hundreds, thousands of years ago. If all he ate was fat, 
if all he ate was meat, if all he ate was, um, you know, McDonald's, basically the equivalent back then, that would become the growth medium for a particular flavor of bacteria. All right. Fast forward. That's what's in some sense is going on these days. Our diets are fueling a preference because our diets are the growth medium for the bacteria in our intestines. That bacteria is going to thrive either in that growth medium or it's not. And so you're going to sort of naturally select a preferable strain. Now, here's the deal. Bacteria have different abilities. Bacteria have different abilities to break down food in different ways. And there's this concept called energy harvest. And it sounds like a bunch of pseudoscience, but unfortunately, no, there's, there's some science to back this up. Energy harvest is how much that bacteria breaks down that's available then to you. Because basically what your bacteria break down become the chemicals that you absorb for energy. So if those are good chemicals, those are bad chemicals. Either way, that's what you absorb. So if you eat a high-fat, high-salt, high-sugar diet versus lean meats, fresh fruits, and vegetables, that's very different in terms of culture medium that that produces. The acidity, alkalinity, the um, salinity, the acid bases, all that stuff, the the uh, protein availability, which proteins are available, uh, which fat molecules are they, saturated fats, polyunsaturated, are they monounsaturated? Um, those fat preferences, those uh, chemical preferences become what your body absorbs. They become the preference growth media for the bacteria. So there's data that says somewhere, you know, maybe in the 10 to 15% increase in energy harvest based on the bacteria you have. So if you have a strain, particularly the ones associated with high-fat diet um, and high-sugary foods and processed stuff, you're going to actually absorb more of that than somebody with a normal gut bacteria, um, what we call the microbiota, um, sort of the whole ecology, the whole, you know, this guy, that guy, and all his friends, you know, all the different flavors of bacteria. So... There's evidence that supports that having a good growth media is conducive with health and weight loss, which sounds really weird. But what I advocate for is trying to keep that growth media as happy, reasonable, supportive, however you want to say it, for the bacteria that you'd like. And there's some evidence that lactobacillus, especially the LGG variety, lactobacillus, LGG, um, is associated with some better health effects, reduced inflammation, and um, it may even help with the weight loss process. Again, if you, um, if part of what you do is is harvest too much energy, every meal you eat, you may be taking in more calories than you need. If you're already overeating, it's a double whammy. And so there is some data to support that having a good gut bacteria is linked. And here's how we know: they took mice. And not everything from a mouse transfers, but in general, the science is about the same. Uh, We just have to be careful about broad generalizations across all populations. Um, In general, um, the the mice they tested that were obese, when they fed their gut bacteria to lean mice, the lean mice became obese. 
when you fed the lean mice's gut bacteria to the obese mice, the obese mice became lean. So um, there's some level of um, support for that presentation, for that idea. And it's at least something that may help. And again, you don't want to be going too crazy with all the different flavors that are available, but um, you want to at least give yourself every um, every chance. You want to add as many motors to your boat as you can if you're going upstream. So um, the the association with good gut, gut bacteria is there. It has some early grounding in science, and it's something that is usually safe for most. Most of these probiotics do not actually uh, cause any harm as long as you have a normal intact immune system. So again, before you do anything, talk to your doctor. Caveats, of course. Um, so uh, next number. I think that was number seven. Number eight, exercise at home. We touched on this a little bit before. Um, exercising at home increases the likelihood of you getting the 150 minutes, period. So all you have to do is, you know, get the, you know, get your exercise regimen to that 150 minutes, and you need to do that any way possible. So if it's walking, great. If it's an exercise bike, if it's weightlifting, it doesn't necessarily matter the exercise. It matters to get your heart rate increased, you know, somewhere in that 60 to 80% of your max heart rate, which you can do your max heart rate, 220 minus your age. Again, bear in mind if you have uh, comorbidities or if you've had a heart attack or things like that, you need to talk to your doctor before this, uh, beginning this kind of stuff and talk to them about these points. But in general, exercising at home is going to increase your chance. Again, that goes back to propinquity. That is the proximity to the thing increases our chance that we'll use the thing. So definitely give working out at home a chance here. So, alrighty, I think that was um, number eight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the next number, uh, number nine, adherence. And we talked on this before. Adherence is more important than a specific regimen. So if you want to go low calorie, if you want to go Mediterranean diet, if you want to go whole 30, if you want to go any of those, part of the problem is that people want to um, keep trying different diets. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you just got to understand, most of these have some level of evidence that they decrease caloric intake. And that makes sense. If you're eating energy-dense foods, you know, going out to eat chips and queso, hamburgers, that kind of stuff, versus, you know, broth soups and lean meats, fresh fruits, veggies. Uh, if you eat the high-fat, high-calorie stuff, of course you're not going to do as well. So anything that lowers the calories and helps you select food better, any diet like that, DASH diet, Mediterranean, any of those guys, you're going to improve your adherence or you're going to improve your results. And adherence to that is the thing, not the diet not the food selection itself. Now, granted, if you eat kale and oatmeal for the rest of your life, chances are you'll lose weight. But you have to be able to maintain kale and oatmeal. So there it is. I just coined the kale and oatmeal diet. Um, feel free to knock yourself out on that one. I'll abstain for right now. So adherence trumps um, everything else. So next one, water wins over any diet drink. Water weight loss is higher in the water drinkers than in people that drink diet drinks, diet sports drinks, diet sodas, diet anything. Water trumps. 
water wins. So if it comes down to it, this one's pretty easy. Just don't drink anything but water. Coffee's fine, uh, but be careful when you're adding the creams and stuff. Black coffee is, is, you know, very energy neutral. I think it's like four calories per cup. So definitely water over any other drinks. Um, you know, that's going to be the, the standby. Again, it's another motor working for you to get you closer to your goals. So with all that in mind, where do we begin? Let's say you're just starting out. Where do you start? Like, what do you do? How, how do you get started? There's so many things. Let's return now to those first two rules, the, the, low, um, the low rate limiting step, the low entry cost rules to help uh, get you started in your weight loss journey. Number one, the half plate rule. Eat half your plate, set a timer for 15 minutes, let your hormone ghrelin go down, let your satiety hormone leptin rise. Um, like I said, sure, there's tons of other stuff involved in that complex neurochemical process, but in general, that's kind of what we understand so far. And give your chance to, to hold off on additional calories. Number two, 10 minutes a day, three days a week. Go walk, get some free weights, you know, getting a pair of three pound, five pound weights, especially if you're starting from zero, and just taking take them through the range of motion, giving them a chance, uh, getting your arms and legs chance to start. And hopefully as we go through, uh, we'll have some more in-depth exercise regimen. There's a ton of stuff out there like that. But in general, do something. 10 minutes a day, three days a week, and start there. And what I tell people is every week, add five minutes to each day's activity. So you go from 10 minutes a day to 15 minutes a day, 15 to 20, 20 to uh, 25, three days a week. And once you hit that 30-minute, three days per week, go ahead and add an extra day. You know, just something small. So for me, like for my 150 minutes at this point, I have a board. And here's the deal. I get bored. I get just tired of having to do exercise over and over. And it fluxes with how I'm feeling. So I know that I'm able to usually knock you out 20 minutes, 30 minutes here and there. And that becomes doable for me. So my board is scattered throughout the week um, with 10 minutes here, 15 minutes, 25, 45, back and forth. There's a lot of different spots and it varies every day. But in general, I know I need to be heading towards that 150 minutes um, of activity per week. That's what's right for me. That's, you know, I don't, I try to practice what I preach here. So um, do those two things if you're just starting out. Now, would love to hear back from you guys on our rules um, and just different thoughts and, you know, stuff that's going on that you're running into because that helps tailor regiments. That helps us kind of dive into the literature and see is there something that supports a particular viewpoint. Um, so I was going to run down those rules for you one more time. Here they are. Number one, the staggered eating plan. Eat half your plate. Wait 15 minutes with a timer. Then eat the other half if you're still hungry. If you're not, just hold off. Just go ahead and put it in a container. The doggy bag is the best friend of the person in the weight loss program. Um Number two, 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise is where you need to get to. But if you're starting out, 10 minutes a day, three days a week. Number three, buying smaller plates and bowls. Portion size um, is referenced to the plate size. So smaller plate, smaller portions. And that did not necessarily correlate with changes in appetite or fullness perception over time. Now, first day, yeah, you know you're eating a smaller bowl. But over time, that becomes the new normal. Um, 
Next one, find low energy density foods. And there's great charts online that you can look up to find low energy density foods. But basically, the closer to the dirt it is without being processed, the better it is for you. Um, next, going at it with a gal pal, buddy, spouse, training partner, whatever. Social success improves success. Or social um, interaction, social exercise improves adherence and your rate of success. Next one, total weight loss goals should be individualized. So if it's 40 pounds, great. If it's 20 pounds, great. But it should be individualized to you, and it should be understood that most people will lose 10, uh, 5 to 10% of their body weight uh, in any weight loss program. But again, we don't want to just do a program. We want to do a lifestyle. Like this is how we are. This is an identity we accept of living the lean life. Um, next, uh, good gut bacteria, lactobacillus, LGG. Um, there's several other strains out there in the probiotic aisle, but lactobacillus has the most research behind it, helping reduce your energy harvest on the food you do eat. Adherence. Adherence is most important. It's the one that sort of trumps all. You have to adhere to whatever you do choose. So pick one, Mediterranean diet, keto, Bob's diet, <laughs> whatever you want to pick but stick with it. Um, next, exercising at home is going to increase your likelihood of getting that 150 minutes, the law of propinquity. And last but not least, water trumps all. Stick with water. Stay away from all the other drinks. If you're drinking soda, wean yourself off that stuff. It's just bad news bears. All right, guys. Well, I would love to hear more uh, from you guys, questions you have. Um, so hit us up on the podcast, and we will see you next time.